Hi, Vin. It's Jonah. I'm just calling to see uh, if you're ready to go today. Uh, hope to talk to you soon. Take care. You, uh, That's you okay. Know, I'm, I'm a lot older. Yeah. So I'm, on, I'm on my iPad, and I clicked the link. Okay. It asked me for my name. I said Vincent D'Antona, and now I can see my no, I'm not going to be showing. It's not a video. It's just for us to talk, but I'm only going to use the audio. Okay, so now I have, oh, join without video. Click that on it. Sure. You can, you can click that. Okay. Zoom would like to send you notes. Zoom would like to access your microphone. I have the earbuds. So I would say okay here. Yes. All right. Zoom would like to send you notifications. No, I don't want that. <laughs> you don't. You don't have to click yes to notifications. That's okay. Oh, there you are. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, see. Let me, let me put my earbuds in. Okay, oh, put my. your earbuds in. Here we go. Here we go. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Now I'm now now we're on Zoom. I'm off the phone. Just turn your video on so I can see you, and we'll start the interview. Okay, where is the where, <laughs> where is the video? There you go. Am I there? Oh, You're there. There. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> it's working. Yeah. So um, I don't know how to make this louder. That uh, is it. Not loud enough. Turn your. Can you do you see the volume on there? Um, you know, Jonah, I haven't I haven't played with this enough. There's little. Oh, there I am. Um, I think is that better? Whoop! I lost you. You turned off your video. Ah! <laughs> to come back, turn your video back. <laughs> there you go. So, oh, oh, you turned it off. I didn't touch anything. <laughs> Put it. Can you rest your iPad on a place where you don't touch it? You just you're just looking at it like it's a video camera. Um, can you rest it on a table? Um, no, no. Okay. I can I can hold it like this. That's fine. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's it's an alert from our governor about the vaccine. Well, I already got a double. I already got my double shot. Well, good. I just got my first shot a few days ago. Well, you know, Cape Cod has the uh, largest elderly population next to Florida. Yeah. And there's been no vaccine here till now. Amazing. And my son works, my second son works for Pfizer. He's a manager. So he set up appointments in the Boston area for me and my wife. And so... One boy picked us up three weeks ago, uh-huh. and that same boy drove us home. And then um, Sunday, that boy, Aaron, uh, uh, picked us up and drove us up. And then Jason, the older one, drove us back. Drove us back. Well, that was nice. They, 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 yeah, co- so they I, coordinated I, it. I'm, yeah, I'm totally vaccinated. No, I have two sons. So I'm totally vaccinated. <laughs> right. 
did you feel a little bit of the side effects for a day or two after the second shot? I, I, my son Jason kept calling me, and um, uh, on my first one was right, uh, next one was left. And I felt pain in the left arm that night. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday, I felt fatigue, tired. Yeah. But I feel fine today. Wonderful. Yeah. It's supposed yeah. to be a day or two, you know? And it's a small price to pay, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I'm still going without with a mask. I'm not going out with a ma- without a mask. Right, right. Well, people are confused about this. You can still get the virus and you can still spread the virus. The point is your body won't fully get sick the way it would otherwise. You're, immu- Correct. you're immunized from the worst parts of, of, of the COVID. Yeah. Um, the thing is that, um, you know, I just turned 80 and I, I told Congrats. you about my fall. Congrats. I, I, fell, I fell two weeks ago. I was going down my, st- I'm upstairs now, yep. going down the stairs and we had a, a foyer, little foyer rug in front of the stairs. Well, I stepped on it Uh-oh. and I slid into the front door. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so what's today? Today's what? Tuesday, um, Wednesday. I, I lost track of time. Who cares what day it is when you're 80? I'm not going to care what day of the week it is. No, I, you know, but, but, but anyways, um, last Monday... My wife took me to the emergency room Uh-oh. and they said, you might have broken your hip. I uh, freaked out, Jonah. I yeah. freaked out. You can't be old and break your hip. Right. It's it's, it's, it's one of the telltale uh-ohs. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very complicated to repair surgery and maybe screws and bolts and then lots of recovery. Who wants so, to be a robot? Nobody wants to be a robot. No, I know. So the doctor eventually comes running in the room and says, Mr. D'Antona, you know, they x-rayed me from my shoulder down to my ankle on the right side. So he said, Mr. D'Antona, nothing is broken. I grabbed his hand and wouldn't let him go. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. You're not broken. You're still you're still a mortal human, but not broken. And now you've been vaccinated. Woo. Yeah, that, but but Jonah, I'm yeah. hit my right foot. Yeah. He said it's a contusion. The whole back of my leg is black and blue. Right, and yeah. he said, Whoop, I lost you again. You turned your video off there. I oh, what did I touch? There you go. If you can just rest the, the, the iPad on the couch or near you, then you won't turn it off. Okay. And Is I'm that right good? Now, well, right now I see your ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I see your face. Now I see the ceiling. Anyone is from Southwest Prince? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I see the ceiling. Yeah. Can you see? I can see the door and the ceiling. Now I can see the door. Oh. Now I'm seeing a shelf. Metal show. Yeah, all the pottery, all the Beautiful. collection of my pottery. Yeah. So uh, this is my. Are you home. are you on a couch? I'm on a uh, a leather chair. Can you put the the iPad next to you so you don't accidentally turn off the video and I can see you and then you don't have to worry about it? Um. You can't see me now, right? I'm seeing the ceiling, just white ceiling. Yeah. Um. Hold on. Maybe I can manipulate it this way. Well, go back. There you go. I see you again. 
Now it's ceiling. Uh, ceiling. Ceiling. Oh yeah. So wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> I gotta station this old body. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. So anyways, um, I fell, and as I told you, and uh, but the contusion. He told me it's going to be a long time for this to heal, and um, I haven't been able to shower for two weeks. Oh, good thing we're not in person. Yeah, so I would I would shower outside the shower door. That's <laughs> complicated. Oh my gosh, what a mess! Yeah. Oh my gosh, because you can't but lift anyways, your you can't so lift your leg. You, you can't lift your leg. I was able to, I can't lift my leg up, but yesterday oh, okay. I was able to get the right leg into the shower. I Good. felt so terrific. Yeah. You know what? I have a friend who's dealing with a five, five, she's in week five of recovering from a, a sledding accident. And she really, so she hurt her calf sledding and it was a, just a bruise. She thought it was like a little, you know, baseball on the back of her leg. Right. It It got bigger and bigger and bigger. She went to the emergency room. She couldn't walk. It was a hematoma. Um, it was it was it was just this mass of blood that was swelling and wouldn't go down. They thought for a minute it was possible she might have to be, get a, a complex surgery, which which possibly could be a leg amputation. She's in her forties. She's healthy. She was terrified. Right. Then they then they had some more doctors come in. They said, "Okay, no, we just have to drain this. It's going to be okay." So they yeah, drained so it. They drained it, and now she's in week five. She can barely walk now. It's going to be another month till she can go around the block with her dog. But but no, I understand be okay. that. I understand that because I'm in week. Um, I forgot. I could be in week three. I don't remember. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, Jonah, I'm still very active. I you, I, you say I you go to the gym. Day. You go to the. Well, gym I go every to day. the gym every day. And um, and I haven't been to the gym. You know, my cardi. I've had two heart attacks, and the cardiologist in Falmouth, who was terrific, uh, said to me, "I want you, um, I, I want you doing cardio every day." So I, I go to the gym just for thirty minutes, and I work on the arc trainer and intensely for thirty minutes. Good. But I haven't been to the gym. I don't know. Maybe I'm in week three. I mean, I, I you know. Can one of I your can, can you get a treadmill at home just to walk? Oh, you can't no, walk. I'm not you can't right, walk right I now. Bike, I have a bike path. I'm, I'm parallel to the Falmouth bike path. Okay, I can walk to it. But um, yeah, so I really miss it. You know, it, you know, I've made some friends there, and it's it's really been a very welcoming place because I'm old. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful to have that part of your routine. Um, yeah, uh, but now I, you know, I'm bored, so I'm watching a lot of Netflix and Amazon Prime, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Well, let me let me start by pausing you. Okay, let's pause for a second. Okay. Let's take some deep. Let's take a deep breath, and then I'm gonna start it. Start a kind of now. I'm gonna interview you. Okay. All right. So let's take a deep breath. Yeah. So I want to start by saying thank you. Um, You're welcome. When, well, you haven't heard what, I, <laughs> what I'm thanking you for. <laughs> um, as, as a teenager, as a 14, 15, 16-year-old, uh, especially 15, 16, my sophomore year of high school, yep. life, life was difficult. 
life was difficult. My, as you know, my parents divorced when I was very young. It was me and my brother and my mom. And, yeah. um, and my mom was a teacher. So she was, you know, single parent, busy teacher. Um, and my brother went to college, as you know, you, you helped. Him. Yep. yep. And, and so he was in school when I started high school, he was in college in Philly. So new, new situation. And then freshman year of high school was a really good year for me. I had played basketball all the time throughout middle school and loved basketball and had a really, um, I did cross country freshman year. So I was in good shape. And then I had a good basketball season. I felt great. I, I enjoyed being in high school compared to how eighth grade had been, which had been up and down in terms of socialization and dealing with, you know, the chaos of junior high and uh, how kids get. And so I was always a sensitive, a sensitive kid and aware of, of, you know, the, the, the adults around me, as well as the kids were aware of the energy around me. And when, so when I was feeling good, I was sharing that, spreading that energy and, and trying to spread that positivity and that kindness and that generosity. And junior high is not a place for kindness and generosity. <laughs> it's a place, it's a place to protect yourself from, from the evils of the world that are starting to come out there socially. Uh, and then high school, I got into ninth grade, great, great situation, was feeling good, making friends, very positive experience with school and with sports and feeling positive. And then sophomore year came and I just kind of slowly lost a sense of myself because basketball was gone because I was no longer in shape. And then I started getting depressed. And then I was playing against kids who were eight inches taller than me and I'm out of shape. So my, my sense of confidence from basketball kind of evaporated a couple of close friends. uh, One of them moved away, lots, lots of changes. And then my, my dad, meanwhile, had gotten divorced a second time. So it was just him and his house. And it's just mom, it's just mom in her house and just dad in his house. Ben's gone. So these, these factors, they all kind of combined. And when I look back at it, I was just, I was just stuck in my head. I was stuck in these thought spirals of self-consciousness, anxiety, self-confidence lost. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this high school. I want to be in college. I want to be away from these jerks. I want to be away from these types of guys. I want to be in the world of ideas, in the world of creativity, in the world of positivity. I don't want to be around this. And, and, and your, this leads to you because your office was a kind of refuge in that high school for me for, for a couple of years. And um, I always felt I could go there and get some of my problems out and that you would be there with a smile and you would be there to listen and to, and to just kind of let me get that off my chest, those feelings, you know. And so there were other people, there were friendships that developed later. But those those difficult moments where I was really stuck in my head, you you were a huge help. So I just thank you for being the kind of man that you were in that situation and, and that your door was open and there was positivity and I felt safe. Thank you for saying that. Appreciate it. <laughs> I love I loved my job. I know you know that. <laughs> how did you, we could start by saying, how did you get into school counseling and psychology? Well, 
I, in fact, I just shared this recently with a former student online. She, I was her math teacher, um, uh, my second year of teaching. And, um, so, um, I, I was preparing to teach math and I, I uh, went to Salem State, now university, and I was taught a new way of teaching mathematics using set theory and um, Venn diagrams, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why Arlington hired me at at 20, um, uh, I think I was 21 at the time. And um, because I had that training, uh, you know, it was the the early 60s and we were were trying to uh, beat the Russians to get a man on the moon. Right. So... This new way of teaching mathematics uh, became popular. And um, so the second year, I was there. I started in uh, 63. And so my first year was 63, 64. Then the second year, 64, 65, the department head gave me this new way of teaching uh, a, a book called SMSG. It was a new way of teaching mathematics. And, um, and, and, you know, I loved it. I think I had mainly freshman classes, uh, cause I had moved he, a new building in the back called the freshman building. And, um, so I loved being in the classroom. I loved teaching. So because of my interest in mathematics, um, a friend of mine from Arlington High, because I went to a state university, suggested I get a master's degree at a private school to offset the state school. I don't know if I would give someone that advice because I, I feel there's no difference. Yeah. So I, I applied to Harvard. It was called a, um, a Master of Art in Teaching. I didn't get in. And I also applied to BC. So I got into BC uh, for um, a Master of Art in, in Teaching. Um, and it was in mathematics. And um, so I, I took two courses that summer of my second, the end of my second year. And um, I took statistics that I aced. The only A I got at BC. <laughs> and then I took philosophy, which I hated. <laughs> I don't know what I got for a grade. But anyways, so I'm in this master's program. Um, to get an MAT, Master of Arts of Teaching. They were very popular in the early 60s. You know, Harvard was the same, uh, and Master of Arts of Teaching. And so I applied to BC and I got into BC. And um, what happened was that um, the, um, I think it was the end of my second year the director of guidance, um, Mary Barry, approached me and, and said to me, um, I have an opening in guidance. Now, this was before unions. You know, I was young. I was popular with the young ones, and I loved being there. And um, so I thought about it, and, um, but she wanted me to – I'd have to give up math. In other words, Doug Eaton – who, who really um, gave me lots of opportunities. He was the director of the math department. I, I didn't want to disappoint him. So 
I said, no. And, but I, I did say to her, what I would be willing to do is teach my five mathematics classes. And then I had two free periods for prep work. I said, I would volunteer that time in the guidance office. Wow. So that's how it started for me. And, um, and she would only allow me to see boys, which was strange for me because I was, you know, teaching co-ed. Yeah. And, and uh, I only could work with boys and they had to be non-college boys. So she gave me a caseload and um, an office to use. And so I did that for two years while I was teaching my five classes. At the end of my fourth year, she had a, she had a, um, and as I changed the program, I changed my master's degree at BC to counseling psychology. So um, she had a, a, a full-time opening and she offered it to me. Um, I think it was the end of my fourth year. At the same time, the director of the mathematics department wanted me the, to be the director of mathematics. So think <laughs> simultaneously. And um, so I had a difficult decision. Remember, I changed the program BC to counseling psych. Right. And I worked for Mary Barry for two years, uh, you know, in that part-time role. Right. And now she offers me a full-time job. And meanwhile, Doug Eaton is retiring and he wants me before unions, he wants me to be the director of the mathematics department. Right. So I, that was a difficult decision for me because I loved being in the classroom. You know, I love teaching. Mm -hmm. And so I made the decision to leave the mathematics department. And so my fifth year in Arlington, I, I, I became a, a full-time guidance counselor at the high school. Got it. So um, I feel so fortunate. You know, I was young. I was popular. The kids loved me and uh -huh. I loved them. Uh -huh. And, and, uh, but, but I think a lot of it was my youth and energy. And, and, um, and I wasn't trying to be a teenager, but, you know, I loved the job. I loved working with the young ones. This is and, in the mid. Uh, this is in the mid '60s. So this is right as the the hippie movement is sort of oh, fl yeah, flourishing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And did and you I have did you have long hair? I, I at one point I did down to my shoulder. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a beard? I had a beard. Yep. And a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that came eventually. Okay. And um, and then um, I witnessed in the high school. Uh, in the later 60s, I witnessed walkouts. Mm -hmm. Kids would walk out of the high school, go the whole whole high school, yeah. and walk out and then stand in the grassy knoll area, whatever you want to call it, and they would burn the American flag and they would burn their draft cards. Yep. And then what became popular uh, is streaking done by boys so they would run naked through the high school mm -hmm. and go into the, the teachers rooms where there were mostly women so it was a 
I love the six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were, uh, you were you were just young enough. To, I was in my twenties. Yeah, to feel like I'm one of you guys. I'm not one of them. Right. And right. as a guidance counselor, that was probably just a magnetic pull for students to feel like he's one of us. He's listening. Right. Well, I always listen, and you know, and I, I, I um. But yeah, so I had long hair, I had a full beard, I had a mustache, and um, yeah, I was, oh, wait a minute, and then I had a car, <laughs> I think about this, my son would go nuts if he knew this, my oldest son, Okay. I had a, I had a car, it was like a, a, a Volkswagen or something like that. And I had flowers all over it, flower stickers <laughs> all over it. I would drive to the high school in that car. <laughs> yeah. Powerful, became, a powerful I, time. Yeah, I became a hippie. I have to admit it. And sure. I was, I was going to all these parties in Cambridge. I won't tell you what we were doing, but I was doing it. <laughs> this is before, <laughs> this is before you're married. Yeah. My wife, I, I I think I was, I, I might've been dating her and she came to the parties, but um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I became a hippie, I guess you want to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think and, my mom, my mom and dad were in Cambridge in that mid sixties, early sixties time. Um, uh, and that's where they met and uh, they were hippies for sure. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, my kids would be, I can't talk about that with my sons now. Yeah. Let me pause you for a second. When yeah. you when you look back at the hippie movement and the civil rights movement and the 60s right. and, the, and the Vietnam anti-war stuff, and, then, yep. you, and yep. then you think about what happened to your generation in terms of our economy and our kind of uh, moral compass, what do you think went wrong? The, the power... The power of the movements and the power of the the, the oh, middle, yeah. so the middle, Black the middle. Lives Matter was very powerful. That movement, you yes. Know, well, it um, is. Yeah, it still is right now. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but but you know, it was um, you know, first there was segregation, and you know, where black kids weren't allowed uh, to come to you know, they had their own schools. Oh, I understand. And, I understand the history. Uh, what I'm asking is from 1968 and the power of all of this change and all of this equality and pushing for progressive change. And then as we went into the seventies and the recession of the seventies and the kind of declining middle-class started around 1980. And then we get into the eighties and we have all this greed and this culture changes and becomes very sort of Gordon Gecko materialistic. And then we get right. into the nineties and we have this kind of corporate growth and explosion of, you know, kind of individualist, less middle-class focus. And then we go into, and then we have 9-11. And then we have this us against them and this more sort of bifurcated society where there's less common good. There's just us against them and every every person for themselves. What I'm asking is, as a society, this is a huge question, but as a society, what do you think went wrong with your generation having this moral compass and this push for change and equality and then becoming... Kind of like, nope, I need what I need for me. Well, I think, you know, I, I, I was I was part of that push for change, you know. So, um, and um, 
I, I, I don't have an answer. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I, I never changed in terms of my, my views. In fact, they got broader as I got older. I mean, you know, older, I don't mean my age now, but I'm still very liberal. So. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I don't think you changed, but I think our society with people in your generation generally went from I want a better world to I want what I need for myself and my family. And, I, and that, right. de that decline of the common good and middle class and the, the, whether it's, you know, Trumpism or whether it's, you know, lack of unions, there's this sense of every person for themselves, take what you can. And, and I feel like that energy of the late 60s, I know it was I know that kind of energy doesn't always sustain and there are cycles with 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 pushing for change. There's cycles. And yes, maybe we're in a new cycle now with the climate climate justice and with racial justice and with right. and with anti anti monopoly stuff going with people anti Amazon, anti Google, right. anti Facebook. And and this is finally starting to be a, something people are aware of. We have to fight back. Uh, these corporations are so gigantic and taking control of everything. Um, it just, it just, I've always sensed that there was this possibility that just kind of evaporated slowly. And I don't know if that was just people getting older and naturally wanting to be secure, because I think there is a, a need for, you know, security. And that usually means money. And that usually means, you know, caring more about your family than everyone else. But it really seems like we, we flipped into a greedy culture at some point in, no, in the, I hear you. In the yeah. 90s, maybe. Yeah, I think, well, you know, I, I was excited in the 60s when Kennedy was running for president. And, and um, I remember going to his rally in Boston. And um, he was, he was, I mean, I was a strong supporter of Kennedy. And, and I, 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 I felt, you know, he would, um, he would support the change that was happening. And um, I, I, looking back on that time, I think a lot has to do with the person we elected to be our president and the wars we were fighting. You know, uh, you know the, uh, the Vietnam War was horrible. I had a former student from Arlington High, and um, I don't, I might have been his counsel, I'm not sure, Jonah, but um, he went off to Vietnam, and, um, and uh, one day, um, he started to visit me when he got back from Vietnam, and um, in my office, I mean, and uh, he, um, he asked me for a favor, and I, I, I said, what's the favor? And he said to me, Vin, um, you know, I was in Vietnam, and I did a lot of drugs, and I got a, I don't know, a dishonorable discharge, and he wasn't eligible for veterans' benefits. Hmm. 
Now, I knew the whole family. I was counselor to all the kids. It was like six of them. You know, some Arlington families had six kids. I remember. Back then. Back then. And his name was John. And um, so I went to the Pentagon. I went to the Pentagon with him. And I testified for him. Wow. And, um, and after that, trial or whatever it was you know i was shaking when i went there you know uh uh, uh, uh here i am i'm probably early 30s maybe and um and uh, we drove down he drove and we had a hotel room that i met his lawyer and um and then i was put on the stand mm. with all these military types in the room I tell you, and then they started to ask me questions about John, and I, I just reflected on my relationship with him and his family, and that he really is a good human being, and you know, war changes people, and um, what? But they asked me a lot of questions, and so when we adjourned, I wasn't sure um, what would happen. We won. Good. He got his uh, uh, military benefits. Good. Um, that was a frightening situation for me. But, I, you know, I, I told the administration in Arlington I was doing this. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do it behind their back, you yeah. know. And um, if you said, Vin, would you do it again? In an instant. Yeah. In an instant. Yeah. The war was unjust. Uh, the, those those men, uh, maybe some women, but not a lot of women. The men, mm-hmm. um, you know, came back with all kinds of issues. And I mm-hmm. think this young man was struggling with post-traumatic stress, but we didn't identify it at that point. Right. Uh, so drugs maybe helped him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I totally lost touch with him. I loved his family and... Uh, you know, but I did that. I was probably in my early thirties and, yeah. and, and I, I, I felt there was a lot of injustice in terms of that war. And, yeah. and, um, and now we, we, we understand that more today than back then. For sure. Um, so I think, I think when I look back on the times, I think a lot had to do with who was our president and, and, so, um, you know, I'm liberal. You know, I voted for Biden. And so, um, yeah. Do you feel a sense of relief that we, we avoided four more oh! years? Trump? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. God. I know. Whenever whenever you're feeling at all down, just remind yourself he's out. <laughs> no, I know. And then when you listen to Biden, yeah. you feel calmness. Right. And I feel a throwback to Kennedy. Sorry. <laughs> sure. Well, there's empathy. There's empathy at the root of of certain people, and they project that empathy well. And I think that that I think you do as well. I think that was what I was talking about when going into your office and feeling there's safety here from this chaos of of insecurity and 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 negativity and cynicism. You know, there's empathy at the root of some people, and they project that empathy because kindness is actually part of who we all are if we can find it, you know? 
I, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's what I mean. I love, love the job. I love, love working in Arlington. And uh, Arlington, you know, changed my life forever. I will tell you that. And um, I love working with the parents. I love working with their children. And um, I am so fortunate that, that I was there. And I love the 60s. You can't hide the 60s. <laughs> it sounds like it. My mother, I had a flower power. power, power. <laughs> let, me, let me rewind you from the 60s back to childhood now. Let's go back to being a, a little boy. Can you talk about your parents for a minute? Well, yeah, you talk I about growing about, up. Yeah. So um, I, um, my dad um, is Sicilian. And my mother was Polish. And um, my dad, you know, came from Sicily. So when he first came here as a little child, you know, he didn't, couldn't speak English. Mm-hmm. And uh, they originally lived in, in Cambridge. His, his mom, his dad, I'm named after his dad. I'm really Vincenzo. Uh-huh. And and because my grandfather was Vincenzo D'Antona, and I was the first male born in the family, mm. so I got the grandfather's name. I see. And 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 you know, I've been to I've been to Sicily three times, and so I now I, you know, if you go to Facebook, you see I'm Vincenzo. So I use that name a lot. Um, I don't identify with the Polish side of me. I, I really identify with the Italian side of me. And so I grew up in Cambridge initially. My dad was in the war and my mother moved in with my Sicilian grandfather. My, my, my Sicilian grandparents. My grandfather died. Vincenzo died. He was a gabinetti. He was like a, a high level police officer in Sicily. Mm-hmm. And he died. Um, he died um, in January of 1941. I was born March in 1941. Mm. That's how I got his name. Mm. And um, so I remember the uh, World War II. I was a young child and we were in Cambridge. My dad went, oh, my dad went to the war and um, he was in the army. And Rosario is his name. Was he in France? Was he in France? He was in France. He was all over. Mm. Definitely in France. And um, he saw a lot of hell, um, you know. And uh, and he, my grandmother had three sons. Rosario. Um, let me see. I got to think the order. Um, G- uh, Jimmy and and Sammy. But my father was the only one that was born in Sicily. So Jimmy and Sammy were born in this country, but they all went to war. Mm. So they went to different branches of the war and, um, and they all survived. I mean, I don't know how that's possible. Three sons. Yeah. They all survived. Wow. And um, so my early, early memories of growing up was in Cambridge in a, it was like a three level unit. We were on the top level and, um, and I'll go more into my own parents in a minute. And, and when we used to have air raids uh, back then, uh, sirens would go off. 
Mm-hmm. So we'd have to pull down all the shades. I wouldn't do it. I was too young. Uh, my grandmother and mother would do it because my father wasn't there. He was at war. Right. And um, so my grandfather was a Gabinetti with a big black mustache and this incredible uniform. Mm. And now he's in America. And uh, I think he became a tailor, I think. Mm. And, um, but he was also an artist. And, and so what he would do with the shades that we pulled down during the um, air raids, he had, he had painted all these murals. So when the shades went down, you saw these incredible, you know, and murals. Uh, Wonderful. Yeah. I, I, I can't, I, I can't get that out of my mind. I still remember that. <laughs> and, and it was very calming seeing those murals. Yeah. Um, he wasn't there. Of course he had died. I told you. And, um, but anyway, so I grew up in Cambridge. I went to the Cambridge elementary school. And then when my father came back from the war, we moved to uh, Somerville. And uh, my father came back, no job. Um, and um, post-traumatic stress, bad. But mm. we didn't discuss, you know, we didn't know about that. Right. So he was a very jovial, uh, jokester kind of guy. He came back very different. And... Um, serious angry um and um so this is what i'm experienced as a child um he was like you wouldn't mess his name was rosario you wouldn't mess with rosario you wouldn't want to get rosario upset um uh, because he had he had been in the war let's say three years four years and saw horrific scenes in world war um two and so my father had no job, had no skills. And I had, this is going to lead me into Arlington now. I had his sister, Conchetta. She was the oldest of the family. Her name is, was Connie, but her, her Italian name was Conchetta. She married a Brazilian guy, Rio, who had a lot of money. So... They owned uh, uh, a double-decker house in Somerville on Clarendon Hill. I don't know if you know where the Teal Square Theater used to be. Teal Square. Yeah, so I lived down down that hill. Mm -hmm. Um, And I forgot the name of the hill, but I I lived on the Cambridge um, Somerville line. In fact, my backyard faced Matt Yon High School. My uncle Rio owned an ice cream factory um, across the street from our house. So he gave my father a job. My father became a truck driver, you know, delivering ice cream. You know, think back then, it was the end of the war. And um, we didn't have, you know, Brigham's and all these fancy places. Right. And so... um, and my father was heavy into gardening. I could never understand it. I hate gardening. So my father was heavy into gardening. Gardening. He had these um, trellis grapevines. He had uh, tomatoes. He had all kinds of 
He brought, he brought Sicily over to Somerville. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because that's, you know, I've been to Sicily three times. So I, I got a better understanding of my father. That's what they do. That's what they have. These vines and grapes and all kinds of fruit and vegetables uh, in their yards. And um, so then um, my second, my brother was born. I was born in 41. Joe was born in 44. So we were, Joseph. So I was named after the first grandfather. I, I'm Vincent Joseph. My, my mother's Polish father was Joseph. And it was a tradition. Um, that's how I got the name, Vincent Joseph. But it's really Vincenzo. I, 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 you know, so I had Den- Trev used to call me Vincenzo all the time. <laughs> uh, what a great man! Oh, I love Trev. I went well, to high school with him. Remember? You did? Oh yeah, I met him when we moved to Everett. Oh my yes, gosh! I, yeah, well, when we went to high quick, school together. A quick, uh, a quick little uh, ode to Trev. Uh, Trev taught AP English uh, yes. at, our, at Arlington High School, and so I had in my senior year. And yep. um, Trev was so comfortable with himself that yes. he allowed he allowed troublemakers like me to walk behind him and rub his hair as I was as I was in the classroom dropping you know a paper off on his desk in front oh, of wow. the whole in front of the whole class and and he knew I was trying to you know just get a scene going or whatever and he just didn't rise to the occasion just let me rub his hair and then I, I went back to my seat and sat down like nothing had happened. Wow. He was an amazing, he was an amazing guy and he did it and he knew, he knew how to be a leader of a classroom without ever raising his voice, which is such a strong skill to have. And, you know, I I visited his classes a few times and, you know, I was just amazed, you know, the AP English class and amazed what he did. But with Trev, um, I'm going to share, I don't know where this is going. But That's okay. That's the I, point. That's the point it. of these conversations. We don't need to know where it's going. Okay. So <laughs> when I was, so we moved to Somerville, you know, because my aunt and uncle had this double decker house and we lived on the top floor. Now they were making so much money back then. Uh, this was before banks. They had, barrels and barrels of money in our attic (laughs) oh yeah so that aunt and uncle were very wealthy at that time so they invested a lot of their monies in real estate i'm leading to arlington so they built a house in new hampshire you know a summer retreat um they had the ice cream factory um then they built their um their house of residence, guess where? In Arlington. Hmm. So my roots about Arlington began when I was a child. So they had, they lived on Pleasant Street. You must know it. Sure. It was a big house up on the hill, brick, huge backyard, and it faced the lake across the street. Mm-hmm. So um, they had a lot of money. So, um, Rhea was uh, Brazilian, she's Italian, and um, Jonah, I spent a lot of time in that house as a child. She loved me. I I was named after her father, Vincenzo, and, you know, Vincent, and um, 
So she would invite me over to the house uh, often. She would take me to New Hampshire. And I believe part of it was that I carried his name. Mm. And um, so I spent a lot of time in Arlington. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, I was living in Somerville and then in Everett, but I spent a lot of time in Arlington. So, mm-hmm. so when I was graduating Salem State, you know, with that specialized training in mathematics, I only applied to two school districts. I applied to Lexington High and I applied to Arlington High. Now, you know why I applied to Arlington? Mm-hmm. Because of my Aunt Connie. Mm-hmm. And we would, do, we would do holidays there. We would do these, these incredible Christmas gatherings um, where Uncle Rio dressed up as Santa Claus, came in with a bag and, you know, <laughs> gave toys to all the kids. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I'm fortunate about, I look back on my youth. Yeah, uh, I never saw any alcoholism. Um, they, they, they didn't, they drank wine, but I never saw drunkenness. And, mm. and I'm really fortunate about that. But on the other hand, my mother's family, Polish, were riddled with alcoholism, not my mother. Mm. She chose to marry someone who didn't drink. My mm. mother didn't drink. Mm-hmm. And because she married an Italian, not a Polish guy, you know, she she was like rejected at first by her family. And same same thing for my mother. My father didn't marry Italian. He married a, a beautiful Polish woman. And and so there was never alcohol alcohol in my house. Never saw alcohol. Hmm. Nothing. But my mother's family all drunks hmm. and her sisters all married alcoholics. So I look back on that because I have those genes. Yeah. And and you you want to say, Ben, do you drink? I drink occasionally now, but I'm always cognizant about the genes that I've inherited. Mm-hmm. Not from the Italians, but from the Polish. Mm-hmm. So we spent, because her father was alcoholic, we spent most of our times with the Italians, most of the time in Arlington. Yeah. All those years. And... um so I applied to Arlington. I was 21 years old. I hadn't graduated. Um, and they hired me. My birthday is in March. They hired me before my birthday, my 22nd birthday, hmm. because I had this specialized training. Got it. So that's how I came to Arlington. Got it. Got it. And um, so. Can I, I such- can I redirect you for a minute? Yeah. When your dad came back from the war, yes, and and you don't mess with Rosario, right? Um, was there was there a gradual time in which you started to be able to attach to him, or was it really just like stay away, just make sure you don't upset him? Like in terms of your connection with him, I think for my brother and for me, it was difficult with him, and. Um, First of all, he was from Sicily and, you know, and, um, and he, he just come back from the war. And, um, I, I do childhood memories of him before the war. He was jovial. He was a jokester. Everyone, you know, loved him. He came back from the war, a changed person. You know, I I can, as, as an 80 year old guy, Mm -hmm. but I learned this sooner that, you know, 
I totally understand what happened to my father. And um, the war changed him drastically. Mm. My mother, on the other hand, was, you know, I would say the more loving, touching, feeling one in the family. And um, she loved her boys, Vinny and Joey. She loved us. (laughs) (laughs) And and so I have a brother. So he has since died. I I, I don't know if I told you. He he died of... um, aggressive leukemia i was involved in a stem cell transplant to try to save his life it didn't mm, work and mm, he died I'm sorry. so he was four years younger than i am his name was joe joseph and um he has two adult children and um, david and sheila and um but joe um was married married really young had a child really young and and later divorced his first wife mm. And then remarried a sweetheart of a woman, uh, but he died. Mm. And um, I, 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 he, he died like in two o. I have stopped then. Two o six. Yeah, um, the stem cell transplant I think took place in January, and then he died shortly afterwards. I was old at that point, you know younger than I am now, but I was old at that point. Yeah. And um, I was two days at Mass General's. They took stem cells out of me. That's an interesting process. Mm-hmm. And I got very weak. And the doctor, the second day, the doctor said, we're concerned about you. Um, we don't want to take any more cells out of you. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't save his life. I was traumatized by that, I will tell you. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I went into counseling because... I was convinced I could save his life. I was working out. I was in shape. I was in the best shape of my time. I wasn't drinking. I was watching my diet. I wanted to save Joe's life, but the cancer was too aggressive. Mm. And um, we lost Joe. Um, but anyways. Um, let me let me, let me me ask you. You hadn't been in counseling yourself at any point in your life before that, or you had previous to that? I, 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 ha- I have been. And um, previous to that, um, um, is this is this going public? I don't. It's up to you. We can record this, and I'll send it to you before I post it, so you can say I'd rather not have this or that. Well, um, you know, it's up to um, you. As comfortable as you want to be, I'm not. You know, you get the final say. So don't. You know, my youngest son died. My youngest son died from a horrific situation. And after he died, my wife and I went into counseling. Mm. I, re- I remember, uh, I remember, and I and I can't imagine having to yeah. pro- having to process that while while you're working. And and um, oh. you know, I'm so- I'm sorry you had to go through that. And I, I've wondered about that because again, you're such a giving, giving, kind, warm person, and that's how I I knew you. And then imagining that moment. As a father now, I have a four. I have a. She'll be four in June, and wow, I give. I, and I give so much of myself, and so much of. There's been a lot of healing that comes with becoming a father for me, and so it's such a. It broadens, it, of course, it broadens your world, you know, and then to have that huge broad world of family change so dramatically, how 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 did you cope? Very dramatically. So. 
Um, his name was Simon, you know, so we had Jason, Aaron, and Simon. Mm-hmm. And uh, we chose non-traditional names um, for Italian boys. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it was the 70s. I, you know, I'm Catholic. And so they turned the altar around and we were singing folk songs at, at St. Eulalia's. You know, we, my wife and I lived in Arlington initially when we were married. <laughs> and so we were, you know, so we were like, this is a liberal movement. The church is changing. Uh, not fast enough because it still won't approve gay marriages. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, um, yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, we, we'd go to St. Layla's and um, and we had this priest that we loved, Paul Lynch, and he baptized the three boys, but they weren't traditional names. <laughs> Jason, Aaron, and Simon. Uh-huh. <laughs> and because um, my wife and I were liberal. We wanted to shake things up all the time. Sure. So, so, um, I'm sorry, your question about um, Simon. How did you cope? How did I cope? How how did you you keep, you know, going to work and giving of yourself in that job while you were going through all of that? Okay, so my oldest son, Jason, you know, is a very successful electrical engineer. He's the director uh, of all the mass general hospitals in the state. Um, He was my first son. And... um, Fortunately, he got into Villanova's engineering program. It changed his life. And um, thanks to a parent in Arlington, Claire Bryant, who was one of my parent volunteers. And your mother knows about my parent volunteers. I love them. They always were there to help me, <laughs> especially with the college fair. And um, so Claire Bryant said to me, and then I was the counselor to all her kids, you know, her boys and her daughter, Judy. And um, so Claire said to me, uh, Vin, um, if you ever need any help with your son, um, you know, who's who's in college, uh, let me know. So I did. I didn't know her husband was vice president of Stone and Webster. So Jason got a job immediately. And he is now extremely successful. Um, And... um, I'm so proud of him. He's such a dear boy. He's <laughs> such a dear boy. <laughs> and um, he's one of the ones that took me up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and he slept overnight um, here. Um, I forgot which night. did. When did we go? Yeah, we went Sunday. And then he slept overnight Sunday night. And then the next day, he's on the phone dealing with all his... Yeah. I don't know, his vendors, his hospitals, whatever. Yeah. And he said, Dad, I have to go. And so I said, well, I, I hugged him. I said, I love you and thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. And because I, I can't drive for two reasons. Yeah. Pandemic and plus like my right leg. Right. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was 1979, um, the fall of 79, I believe. Um, Jason had just graduated Villanova and started his first job in Boston and had an apartment, you know, with guys. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't living with us. Aaron had just started um, college. He was going to 
the Catholic College in Connecticut. I forgot the name of it. <laughs> but his goal was to be a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. So now Simon is living with Robin and Ben, his parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and Simon, Simon um, of the three boys, Simon was an incredible jock. I'm not a jock. Neither is my wife. We never push sports on them. But we did tell them, you need to have activities. You need to do something. Mm-hmm. So Simon was this incredible football player, you know, which I'm not so sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I understand. That was part, that was his identity and it was very different than the rest. Yes, Jason was this incredible track winner. He ran four seasons of track. Mm-hmm. So at, at 48, 49, he still runs. He had okay. a great coach in Reading High called Harold Croft. And Harold Croft had graduated from Villanova. I have to believe that that's some of the reason he got into Villanova in the engineering department. Mm. And um, then Aaron, Aaron was asthmatic and he, um, he couldn't do track because of the breathing. So he became a wrestler. I'm not a fan of that sport. So I'd go to those meets and I wasn't happy. So mm, I, that would be hard. That'd be hard to see your child wrestling. Yeah. Well, you know, the the blood coming out of his ears, his nose, you know, yeah. it's like, I, yeah. I, I hated it, but you know, I would go to support him. Sure. And um, anyway, so um, they're both fine young men like you and your brother now. And um, so Aaron's married with three kids and Jason's married with three kids. So, um, <laughs> So it's that year, and we're starting, Simon and I went shopping at REI, because now he's alone in the house with his mom and dad. So he and I were planning to go hiking and camping. So we went to REI to look at sleeping bags and tents or whatever, because uh, we were going to go on this hiking trip. And... Um, and in fact, we met Priscilla Monahan there. I don't know if you remember her at all. She was an English teacher. Mm. Yeah, we met Priscilla Monahan there. And um, it was just so great. Uh, it was just Simon and Dad. And um, so in the that fall, when he started his ninth grade, his aspirations were to play football in college. Not my aspiration, his aspiration. Right. And and he wanted to go to Babson and major in business. Um, so you got one boy, electrical engineering. The second boy um, is is in a, in a um, biochem program. His goal was to become a medical doctor. And um, and Simon wanted to go to Babson. You know, he heard I would always talk about the three B's in terms of business. And he said, I want to go to Babson. I want to play football there. So those were his goals, not my goals. And um, so it's a Saturday and the freshman, um, the freshman um, uh, uh, football team is mandated to go to the varsity game. Okay. They don't play, they observe. And so, um, after the, he and his friends did the varsity game, they walked uptown Reading and were in front of a grocery store. And um, 
evidently they had gone to someone's house and I don't mind sharing this because, you know, it's, it's the, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And um, they put underwear, you know, back then the long underwear over their clothing, over their pants. Mm-hmm. And they went in front of this store, this grocery store. This woman walks by and says to them, why are you dressed that way? They weren't vandalizing. They weren't stealing. They were just being 14 year old boys. Mm-hmm. And, um, Someone said, I don't, we're not clear who did it, but someone said the varsity players made us do it. That meant, so she was a, worked in, in the, in the schools. She was a substitute teacher. So she then alerted the, the superintendent and the athletic director that there was hazing going on. And, and uh, that's how he ended up taking his life. I mean, I don't want to go into details about that. Mm. Uh, the, ha- was, the, ha- the hazing became, it became sort of something in the town, got, the town began talking about it in that, in that. Correct. In the schools and the varsity team. And he was threatened. He, he was uh, told by some adults that uh, he'd never play football in high school mm. or in our college. Mm. And um, so they took away his like his own mission in life yes and and so i was home when he got home and my wife called me and said simon's upset because you talked to him i did talk to him and and he told me what was going on i said simon not to worry um yeah it's like the ironies of life uh jonah i said simon not to worry your mother is chair of the school committee the chair Mm. And and I just co-chaired the uh, committee that chose your new principal. I was co-chair of that committee. Mm. I said, and your mother's best friend is the um, is the um, I forgot her title. She has some kind of medical title in the community, and her son was the freshman football coach. Mm. I said, I'm sure we can work this out. He did tell me he wanted to go to Arlington High School. He didn't want to go back to um, Reading. So I said, okay, let's wait till mom gets home and we'll discuss it. And um, remember, he was only 14. Yeah. Uh, they stole his dream. He thought it was over. And, you know, so he left us at 14 years old um, in 1979. And... Um, yeah, so I'm I'm really thankful for where I am in my life now because um, it took me a long time to make peace with his death mm-hmm. since I was with him, mm-hmm. uh, but I have, mm-hmm. and and pot and so some of my therapy was to let go mm-hmm. of of that guilt that I had that I was with him, um, and um, yeah, there's nothing I could have done to save him. You know, I tried, but it was, you know, he, so he stayed. Children's Hospital let him live for like five or six weeks. I think it was so the family could let him go. Mm. It was horrible. I wouldn't wish this on any parent. Mm -mm. And um, I'm so thankful where my boys are now. Mm. I, I really thank God where they are. Um, because they stayed on track. 
as they lost their younger brother. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so have I been in therapy? Yes. And I explained some of the reasons why. For sure, for sure. Uh, but I'm in a different place right now. So, um, yeah. So anyways, I came back to Arlington High School. Uh, I don't know how many weeks I waited. And I can't tell you, I I felt so guilty. You know, my youngest son just died. Are they ever going to trust me again? Mm. Are they ever going to believe anything I say? Jonah, it was Mm. amazing. I was hugged by, I'm I'm using hug as a a large, uh, hugged by the whole community. Yeah. I, I, I thank Arlington. Because they helped me heal. Mm. And um, so, you know, the young ones like yourself, you know, I know you weren't there probably then. I don't know. And um, and uh, the parents, um, oh, oh, lots of people reach out to me. And, mm-hmm. and I am so thankful. Um, yeah. But the job actually allowed me to not really get overly depressed and mm-hmm. and to move forward with my life. I kept doing the same things I did always. I had yes. all those peer I had all those peer education groups. I ran a a, a loss group for kids dealing with uh, a death and loss. Um I did a suicidal a prevention group that we trained kids. I brought a, a, a expert from McLean Hospital who was part of the training then we sent the kids in the middle school. Mm-hmm. I know in the uh, the ninth grade, to, without teachers and or anyone in the room except for kids, mm-hmm. talking about uh, depression and suicide, mm-hmm. and gave them a card uh, for resources. Yeah. I pulled that off after Simon died. Yeah, and um, I thank Arlington Charlie McCarthy. I don't know if you remember him, my favorite principal. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember him. Yeah. He's the one that got me hiking the Grand Canyon. Oh, he did? Yes. He was the in- inspiration for Sedona in general? Uh, yeah, well, no. I, uh, we, I didn't know he had a lot of hiking experience. And um, I hiked the Grand Canyon the first time in 95. Mm. And um, I, it almost killed me. <laughs> uh, I went with these friends. Uh, there was a major snowstorm. And I said, you know, I'm not going down there, but I did. And, uh, but I almost died coming out. Oh my gosh. Uh, because these people walked quickly and, you know, I had never done anything like this in my life. Yeah. And then Charlie McCarthy invited me to go on, a, a, to the Grand Canyon, to hike the Canyon and showed me the right way to hike the Canyon. I've done it 12 times. Wow. The last time was in two. 13. Oh my gosh, you did it at that age. Amazing. I was 72. Amazing. Amazing. And it was the day, it was the day I came home, the day of the marathon bombing. Wow. I, I, I fly home from Phoenix and I'm in the airport waiting for my luggage and I look up at the screen. Oh my God. And, you know, and I saw, it was like, I saw all this stuff about the bombing and the deaths and whatever. Yeah. And I was fearful I wouldn't get out. Mm. So I got my bag early and I ran out to the bus that took me back to the Cape. Mm-hmm. My wife was calling me. Um, I was working for a health club at the time. Mm-hmm. The owner of the health club called me. My son, Jason, called me. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm on the bus. 
I'll be home shortly. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. my life has not been dull. <laughs> <laughs> you have you have stories for sure. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So you asked me about counseling. I yes, there have been different times in my life that I sought out counseling. I've I've had a counselor. I've had a he's kind of a Zen therapist, um, and he's for the last ooh. Well, he started off as a couples counselor briefly, and then I I have had him as uh, just a individual counseling, individual therapy, and we do phone sessions um, because I moved, and he we start each session with a, a just kind of settling in, like a short meditation, basically. Um, yeah, well, I I did that. I I took a class here. It and, was a, it was a, it was a Buddhist priest, uh-huh. and. Um, it was meditation and it was so phenomenal but then they closed the senior center because of the covid oh no okay the guy, okay. The guy was a buddhist priest from a, lo- a local church here uh-huh. and uh-huh. he was so phenomenal and i keep calling the senior center when are you gonna we have a brand new huge building senior center that's not open because of covid yeah and so i lost my my zen buddhist priest yeah well um I actually have recently been doing this mindfulness uh, course online and it's, it's for education. And I've thought, so I teach adult ESL and citizenship. I teach adults English. Um, where, where do you do that? Uh, in Berkeley, out here in Berkeley and, oh, wow. uh, and in Daly city, which is on the other side of the Bay, I do citizenship, but I've been doing, I've been teaching adults for the last, basically since um, 2016. Um, but I also taught adults for about three years, four years, while I tutored high school and middle school students earlier before before that. So I've taught high school uh, humanities. I've taught high school English. I've taught high school ESL. I've tutored SAT prep. I've tutored, you know, English and, and math. And I've tutored study skills for, for middle school. And then I've I've done all these different things. But now I'm teaching adults at night. And it's been the perfect combination with being the primary parent while well, um, my daughter was arrived. So, oh, wow. so I wow. was basically at home with my daughter for the first base before preschool uh, for the first two years. Um, my wife works early in the morning until about 3 PM. So it was this kind of tag team we had, and I teach at night, Monday to Thursday nights. Um, but uh, I'm interested in, in bringing a kind of mindful approach to middle school or high school uh you're talking about your your first uh, mary berry saying deal with the boys who are not going to college and help them you know that's i'm i'm also interested in bringing a kind of mindfulness and a centeredness a groundedness and a humanity to to boys in need in at the adolescent you know whether it's middle school or high school level so that's a, a something i'm looking toward doing and this this online course is helping educators deal with mindfulness first in an internal practice and then in schools. Um, it's been interesting and, and it's made me think about my own life in terms of my own, I mean, you're talking about your son and being 14 and what that having such dreams and such passion and right. riding the waves of, of hormones and, and those dreams. And, right. and it's just so volatile a time and, 
to have mindfulness, to have a sense of groundedness and a sense of there's something much bigger than you and your feelings and your thoughts. There's something much bigger. It doesn't have to be religion. It can be a sense of nature. It can be a sense of just the universality. It can be a sense of kindness. It can be all of these things, whether it's in the Grand Canyon or whether it's in your backyard. The world is so much bigger than we make it sometimes when we're stuck in our head. And um, that feeling of you can just breathe and you can center your body by breathing and you can, right. and you can get out of your mind and get out of your head and get into your body for a minute. It's a powerful thing. And it's not something uh, that most boys especially are taught, right? They're taught their bodies are to be warriors. Their bodies are to be overcome, right. overcome and to be aggressive. Right. Um, and they're not taught that their bodies are actually um, ways to help their whole being get centered. Right. I agree. I, I, um, I, I, um, I don't know which principle it was. You know, I, I dealt with a lot of principles at Arlington High School, but one of the principles brought in the speaker, um, she had a master's degree from Villanova, and um, she, um, she, the whole auditorium is filled with teachers, and uh, she um, presented, um, it's called the relaxation response. It was written by Dr. Herbert Benson. His book is called The Relaxation Response. So she did it with the whole, the whole staff. And it was, you know, it was about meditation and breathing and all that. Well, I then... When I was in Arlington, I, I did a um, some workshops with kids taking the SAT, and I offered this mindfulness class and taught them how to vi use uh, visual imagery about walking into the test, taking the test, feeling comfortable with the test, taking deep breaths, and um, so I did a little of that in Arlington, a little, not a lot. Um, but, um, one of the therapists that I saw had me, had me do a, um, um, you know, the worst thing for a parent is to lose a child. I, I don't care if, for whatever reason, it's yeah. like the worst pain one can feel and it just doesn't go away. And, um, and so I, um. I saw a therapist who, who taught me about um, making an, an intention list and um, where you write things down that these goals you have. And mm -hmm. for me, it was, you know, um, to not feel guilt over the death of Simon, um, um, to let go of any images I have of that day. And and to embrace my surviving family members. Hmm. So I I looked at that. I wrote it out, and then I looked at it daily. It changed my life. Hmm. It changed my life. And um, it's called making an intention list, and then focusing on it every, looking at it every day, and reading it. Um, so I'm really, you know, I'm open to all those things. Remember, I have a master's degree in counseling psych. So. Of course, yeah. Well, you're reminding me of, of something that, so this is a podcast and the point of it is really 
simple. It's just, I need to connect with people. And this last year has made it so much harder to do that. Right. Um, But also just moving into a home in a, in a kind of suburban town, you know, other side of the country from where I grew up, friends, friends I've made have now left the Bay area. A lot of them just, it's hard to stay here. It's too expensive. There's just, you know, people going back, having to, having to uh, resettle. Finding a community is, is not easy. Um, And I'm a social person, as you, you know, and I'm a teacher. So I have some of that social aspect in my job, which is great, but connecting in real ways like this, you know, uh, talking about the big questions and feeling human. And I think social media has, and the internet has had wonderful things. There's wonderful things and there's horrible things. The wonderful things are we can do this. You know, we can do this. We can have a conversation like this. Um, I can post it and share it. And I'm sure many people will want to hear you talking about your life, all the stories you've been through, all the people's lives you've impacted over all those years as a counselor. Oh. You know, it's going to be amazing to hear people be able to hear your story in that way that I just want to be a part of letting it get out there with your approval. <laughs> but but this podcast is hard because I want to connect with people. I want to share it. Is it a hobby? Is it something I can sustain? Is it just a, a, a moment in my life because I have some time because my daughter's in preschool? What does it mean to me? So that intention list, um, in order for, for me to keep going with it and not doubt myself or not get overly wrapped up in, you know, should I try to promote it more? What is it, can I make any money? All these other ideas. I made a list. Here's the list. Oh. The process over the product. So first of all, remember, just like with writing, I've done writing for 25 years, the product is less important than the process, right? This two hours is what matters the most. The second thing, consistency over frequency. So if it's once a month, it's once a month. It doesn't have to be every week that I do an interview, but it has to keep going at some consistent level. Right. Um, Intrinsic value over extrinsic value. If someone, uh, if no one listens to it, you know, I'm not getting any extrinsic value of it. Nobody's praising me. Nobody's saying anything about it. But if it's intrinsically important to me, that's why I'm doing it, right? This is, I haven't seen you <laughs> since, no, I, I know. since I was six, <laughs> since I was 18 years old <laughs> and it's 20. And now I'm 80. <laughs> and now you're 80. I didn't even know you were 80. I didn't know you were older than my mom who's turning. Oh, know, yeah. So, yeah. But. 23 years later, you know, that's maybe the right amount of time to go back into your past in a way. It's two years later, it means nothing, you know, 23 years later means something. Um, And also, I have perspective, I have life experience, I'm not 25. Um, Right. The fourth thing, connection over disconnection. So just this sense that I have been disconnected from various parts of my life, as I've stayed out here. I moved out here in 2003. I was 23. Natasha moved out here the next year. Oh, wow. You were 23. Wow. Yeah. I, I love your governor, by the way. <laughs> Gary. <laughs> yeah. I, I finished school out here. Natasha moved out here in 04. I finished school out here. I became uh, a teacher out here, but I've lived here for 18 years, you know? Wow. And I've been teaching in various capacities for 14 years. It's, it's boggles my mind, but in that experience, 
there have been disconnections, of course. I'm 40 years old, you know, people, people right. come and go. As I said, some people are better at staying in touch than others. And my own process with connecting with people is complicated because from a young age, that, that was that absence of my father was always a part of my life. And so that connection, that feeling of attachment has always been complicated, you know, and my degree of loyalty, but also degree of intensity toward friendships is a result of that feeling of attachment and, and not being sure about it. So as I've gone through therapy, as I've done writing, as I've read, as I've lived, I realize that. And, and I, and I know that this process is actually needed for me to be what I want to be and what I want to get out of life, the connecting, connecting on a deeper level. Um, so accepting that and finding ways to get that, you know, yeah. rap, and it doesn't have to be in person. No, but the other thing is that you've got COVID, which has really caused us to have many disconnections. Yeah, I, I didn't do Chris. I couldn't do Christmas. I couldn't do Easter. Um, and, um, you know, I had to do, um, I think we did, we did a Christmas through Zoom and uh, our Easter. I can't remember which holiday it was. And um, so it was my birthday uh, in March. Um, um you know, March 4th. No, no, it wasn't my birthday. It was a significant event. I forgot what event it was. Mm -hmm. But my second son, Aaron, drove down uh, from, um, he lives in Melrose, drove down with his wife and three kids. And, oh, it was it was the uh, end of the year. Um, it might have been New Year's Day. Um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They drove down and um, they wanted to visit me. So I said, um, you know, we can't, I can't have you come into the condo. And, um, and I said, we all, ha I, I have to have a mask on. I, you know, I'm, I'm old and I'm very vulnerable. So, you know, I've had two heart attacks. I've had cancer mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I'm going to be 80. So, you know, he understood that. So they drove down, they parked in front of the condo. And um, they stood at the end of my walkway. Mm. So Aaron, his wife, and the three kids. Now, I haven't seen them at all mm. since the pandemic. Mm. And um, so we talked. And I went out to a local store before they arrived. And I bought a bag of stuff for New Year's Eve. You know, hats and balloons and blower things and whatever, mm -hmm. you know, for the grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And I put the bag outside and I told my daughter-in-law, don't let them get in that now. That's for tonight when you mm -hmm. celebrate New Year's Eve. <laughs> and they brought me a gift. They just left it outside. And when they left, I picked, I, I got the gift. Um, and when they left, my heart sunk. Mm. I, I wasn't allowed to touch them, to hug them. Mm -hmm. I did tell them I loved them all, but, but it's, it was so different from any, you know, I'm a huggy, touchy, feely guy. Right. And it was such a different experience. Right. I was depressed after they left. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then at Christmas time, no, that was, no, that, that was New Year's Eve. There was another holiday. Um, 
Christmas time, um, there was a gathering. It was up in Boston. Of course, I, I can't do long distance driving right now. That's and, okay. But, yeah. Yeah. And even, even the pandemic has affected my driving because I've not mm. been using my car. Right. And um, so I had to do a Zoom meeting with them um, at Christmas time. And um, which was sad for me, but you know, it's you talk about disconnections. I feel part of me feels very connected to them, and another part of me feels very unconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I I'm thankful I'm 80 and I'm still alive, and I have I've had two shots of the Pfizer vaccine. All right. You're going to make it for a little while longer. No, I'm going to make uh, I want to tell you another story. So when I was in high school, I I, um, I was extremely obese, 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 obese. And um, and it started when we lived in Somerville. My, we lived across the street from my uncle's ice cream factory. And he used to give us bowls of fresh vanilla ice cream right out of the machine. Mm. And Vin would eat all that ice cream as much as he could. So I ate, and I ate, and I ate, and I ate, and I got bigger and bigger and bigger. So I, I was an obese child, and um, my life was not easy in schools. And um, so when I moved um, from, from uh, where were we, Somerville, to um, Everett, um, I'm in the eighth grade, and and guess who's in my homeroom and is really kind to me? Tom Chapasani. Oh, yeah, and um, and we became good friends. And um, I, Trev was really kind to me, and um, so I had to deal with a lot of uh, harassment. Um, I've shared this on Facebook. So my former students have seen this, you know, I've dealt with a lot of harassment in terms of my body. And um, in that, that, um, you know, I would walk in the hall and, and guys would put their hands on my chest and tell me I should wear a bra. Mm. I, I, um, I, um, I had, I, I was really a lot of blubber around my waist. I was told as I'm walking, down the stairs, you look like you have a a, 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 a car tire around your middle. Mm-hmm. I was embarrassed to change in the locker room because mm-hmm. I was afraid to expose my body. So I really, um, I don't know what I did, but I tried to avoid gym as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So I had, even though academically I always succeeded, um, I had you know, we didn't deal with this back then. Right. You didn't have people protecting you. No. And um, so somehow I survived. And, um, well, I go to this party in the ninth grade. I'm invited by Christine Mallon to this birthday party in Everett. And um, I went to her house uh, with other kids. And we're down in her basement playing spin the bottle. So I get to kiss Christine. Okay. And I then became fixated on Christine. 
ninth grader. I was a ninth grader. So I'm still, a, I call my, I was a blubberella. That's what I call what I was. Hmm. And um, so I invited her to my junior prom and she rejected me. I was devastated. So that summer, I lost 85 pounds. Wow. I went back to high school. Um, I went from 240 to 155. Wow. And I asked Christine Mallon to the senior prom, and she said yes. And I, I was so excited. <laughs> I didn't marry her. I never saw her again after graduation. But she's the person who changed my life. Mm. And, you know, so today at 80, I, you know, I shrunk. I was like 6'1", 6'2". I'm, I'm probably 5'10". <laughs> and, and my weight is uh, probably like 160, 163. Um, so I, um, so it was, it was our, our Everett High. It was our 50th high school reunion. Trev really wanted me to go. And he and his partner, Larry, oh, a sweetheart, I've met Larry, a sweetheart. And he and his partner, they never married. Um, he and his partner wanted me to go. And um, so it was 50 years later. I said, okay. But then when I called to make a reservation, they told me they had no seats left. And it was 50 years later. Mm. And I would sit at the bar, excuse me. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. But I said, I have a favor to ask. Um, I need to say something to Christine Mallon. Would you happen to have her telephone number? They gave me her telephone <laughs> I called her. It's 60 years later. <laughs> and I said, hello, uh, is this Christine? She said, yes. I said, it's Vindy Antona. Do you remember me? Oh, I remember you, she said. And I said, Christine, you know, I'm, I'm not going to the reunion. She said, neither am I. And, and I think she lives in Newton, one of those towns. She's married, has four boys. And um, I said, I have a bucket list, and you're on my bucket list. I have to thank you for what you did for me. She didn't know what she did for me. I said, well, I was extremely overweight in high school, and um it's because of you I lost 85 pounds mm. and I got to take you to the senior prom. <laughs> you changed my life. She did. Cause I was then became always a skinny person. Yeah. You know, um, I was always thin, you know, so, um, and, um, well, anyway, so she said to me, I, I really don't remember the weight, but I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> The weight you lost, I gained. <laughs> and we said goodbye to each other. But I had this bucket list. I needed to thank her before I died. Yeah. Wow. So she changed the rest of my life. When I went off to college, I was at all the parties. I was very popular. I was Mr. Social Butterfly. But that empathy that empathy came from a, a, a place of pain that you had experienced and you understood, right. you understood what other, what other people knew as their pain because it was yours. Right. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, so you had both sides of the coin you had, you right. know, and I sort of did feel that too. Like I, socially I could, I could have been on either side and I was on both sides of it. And, 
I mean, comedians talk about childhood. People who become comedians, their childhoods right. are, are usually brutal. Um, comedy is a source of, you know, an escape. And it's a validation. When you're on the stage and you're getting the laughter, you are completely validated in that moment. And everything is in that moment. There's right, nothing right. before. There's nothing before it. There's nothing after it. There's the moment. Um, and so that intense present plus that validation, you know, that's what we all need. Sometimes we need that jolt of of being present and being validated and being seen. And you know, you your your story illuminates that it just illuminates that you were seen for a minute and then you were denied and then you were motivated and then you were rewarded oh i definitely was rewarded <laughs> i definitely was rewarded and if, when you saw at Arlington high school i was at all those parties uh you know i was one of the young ones and so uh you know the football coach the, the hockey coach uh this woman marion kennedy I, they would invite me at age 21, 22 to all the parties. I was at all their parties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm thankful that I lost the weight. And so I'm obsessed with my weight. You must have to understand that. <laughs> when you, when you think about that and you, and you think about the body shaming that, that goes on today, you know, that validation based on appearance is, is pretty intense for teenagers and, and 20 somethings and social media, Instagram, people's, people's image, the image they put out there is not, I mean, it's such a extrinsic again. It's not, it's not, it's like, I'm valuable if you see me as valuable. And that, that's a real, that's a real situation that I think we're, we've always had that, you know, people want to be, a, they're attracted biologically to attractive people, attractive people look a certain way, etc. Right. But social media and the projection of those images has just intensified that to the extent where people are are living through these images that they that they post, and they're doctoring the images, and they're they're they're, they're manicuring the images. They're not being authentic in themselves, and being authentic means not thinking about what you look like. Being authentic means just being. No, no, I love Rizzo. You know, I love Rizzo, um, and and I love Harry Styles with uh -huh. his his. You know, I watch the um, the music awards, and um, he's one of my favorite artists. Uh -huh. But Rizzo, um, you know, so I I you know I keep up with pop culture. You know, yeah. so even at eighty, yeah, and um, I um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, these doctored images and and um, and, 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 and making this people believe that this is how we all should look, which is a lie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but anyway, so I had uh, not a great childhood in school, but then college, you know, I was like, <laughs> you were validated. You were seen. Yeah, you know, and I think about Joe Biden understanding uh, pain and, and, and things that he's gone through. I have had a lot of not, I've had some uncomfortable things happen in my life. Mm -hmm. But yes, I, 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 I can empathize, I can sympathize, and I still keep a positive outlook on life mm -hmm. at 80, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't, I worked at a health club in Falmouth for 11 and a half years when I moved down here. I don't know if I mm -hmm. told you that. Mm -hmm. Eleven and a half years. I worked the desk at a health club. 
Okay. Loved it. The okay. people love me. Sure, of course you know, they I did. Chat with them you were schmoozing. You were schmoozing all day. Oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> you know, and it was like such an incredible old guy, not a jock. Right. And and um, it was such an incredible experience. But after eleven and a half years, uh, the owner was moving outside of Falmouth, and and I didn't want to go, so I left. Yeah. I left, but that's. That's a job I got when I moved down here. Mm-hmm. And I taught at Salem State for 10 years, long distance. Oh, you did? I taught graduate school. I, I taught um, the the last course in um, the master's degree in counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called the practicum. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I graduated from Salem. It was called Salem a, a State when I graduated. It was now Salem State University. But um, because of my work in Arlington, the director of the program at Salem, um, I forgot his name, was from Northeast. And I used to take a lot of interns, I don't know if you remember that, from the grad schools. Mm-hmm. And they would train, they were trained to become counselors. With right, them. right. And I had them from all over, all over the Boston area, including Harvard. And, um, but anyway, so the guy from Northeastern, was actually running the Salem State program. And so he asked me if I would like to teach and, you know, teach in the program. I said, immediately said, yes. Mm-hmm. So um, I did that my last year at Arlington. And then I continued it when I moved to the Cape. I would drive up for my 4.30 class and then drive home at night. Kept yeah, busy. so I, I Kept did busy. that for 10 yeah, I did that for 10 years. And then I was still, I was working at the health club also. Mm-hmm. You don't yeah. strike, you don't strike me as someone who would want to sit back and do nothing. But, but anyway, so I, I, I've remained active and, yeah. um, but right now because of the pandemic, it's just changed all our lives drastically. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I miss the life I had, but I understand it's going to eventually get better. Yeah, I think I think six months from now you're going to see a little a little bit of a change, and people will be getting comfortable again, and they'll be you know seventy when seventy percent or eighty percent of the population is vaccinated, as your I'm sure your son is talking to you about you know then about we're herd, in, you're herd immunity. Yeah, then then we're in a different situation. Yeah. Right. Right. And and. Um, yeah, I know. I know. Um, I miss the health club greatly, you know, working out. But that's not because of the pandemic, because I as soon as they opened health clubs, I was working out every day. Mm-hmm. And but because of my foot, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, which eventually I'm going to try sitting in my car tomorrow. Um, it's been three weeks. OK, I'm not going to start it up. I'm nervous about starting it up because I don't know what control I have over my right foot. Yeah, let's um, not not start it up then. <laughs> no, so I'm just gonna see what it, like feeling the brake and feeling the gas pedal. See what see what that feels like on my foot. Mm-hmm. But I'm anxious to free myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, spring's around the corner. You'll be you'll be back on your feet soon. Right, and I want to say something to you that your mother is a saint. She was so wonderful to me. And, and, you know, one of my volunteers, when she could volunteer, you know, because she worked full time. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Oh, she was a terrific lady. Uh, she's one of the special um, mothers that I met in Arlington. Oh. You know, and I love both you and and and, and um, Ben. Well, yeah. we appreciate it. Was a, it was a pleasure dealing with both of you. Well, we appreciate that what you did for both of us, and and I'm I know my mom appreciates you too, and I'm so glad we reconnected, Vin. Thank you. Be well. Be well. Love to you Best and your family. To your whole family. Same. Okay. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Jonah Asks. Thanks to Vin, Vincenzo, Counselor Vin, Mr. D'Antona. A wonderful man, helped many people throughout his time at Arlington High School, and as you heard, just a wonderful spirit of a person. If you know someone who is going through some difficult times, reach out to them. Never be afraid of reaching out. Everybody needs connection. Till next time, thanks for listening.